First things first, is there something wrong with the, this side of the sanctuary? Oh, hi, Bob. I, I just have never seen that before where it's like everybody flocked to one side. That's good because I have, the, I have the reputation to only preach to one side, and that's the side I happen to only preach to for some reason. So it just struck me as odd. All right. We'll get to the, get to the sermon here at some point. I think we're at that point. That's why I'm standing up here. All right. For those of you that don't remember, a while back, I rewrote a parable. And we went to Anytown, USA, where there was a church called First Church of Anytown, USA. And today we're going to return there. Um, <clears throat> so, First Church of Anytown, USA stood at the corner of Hope and Prosperity. It had a vibrant children's program, which children of the church were brought up to understand what it meant to live like Christ in this world. Many children were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, publicly professing their announcement of evil and their affirmation to live like Christ calls us to live. Many of the children would continue their development through the teen program. Some would be new to the faith at this time and as well would experience baptism and accept the grace that God the Father has bestowed upon them. Occasionally, some of these children wander from the truth they've been, that they have been brought up with and the grace that God has bestowed upon them. They feel the temptations of their peers to be drawn into a life that lives contrary to what they confess at their baptism. These temptations look appealing enough to lead them into all types of dissolute living. What starts out as perhaps just a little sin snowballs rapidly, and the life of sin just keeps getting deeper and deeper, until finally this child of God reaches the bottom of the hill. This is the low point where this child of God recognizes just how far off track they've wandered. They realize they're at the point in their lives where they are figuratively eating the pig's food. This is the turning point in their story. This is when they remember the hope they once felt and the grace they experienced. The child of God returns home. Upon returning to First Church of Anytown, USA, instead of being greeted by the father with open arms, they are greeted at first by the bitter, jealous brother. Many in the church have heard the rumors of what they have done since they left, and instead of receiving them, they begin to talk amongst themselves about what they may have done, what kinds of sins they may have committed. Some even went so far would go so far as to confront the person. Like, what is wrong with you? Why in the world did you ever leave? What did you do? These are all good things to want to know the answer to, but to someone just coming back to church for the first time, realizing what is in their past, that can just be an absolutely overwhelming experience. This causes the child of God to not feel welcome in the place they once found grace. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. The child, of, the child of God recognizes their need to return to the grace they once found in this place. So they are persistent. Eventually, there is someone within the community of First Church of any town who plays the role of the father. 
and is so excited to see the child of God return that they welcome them back with open arms and fully restore them to the grace they had once experienced. Think of the parable of the prodigal son and the father's reaction to his son who has returned. We're going to pick up the story in verse 20 of Luke 15. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Yes, the son confessed that he was no longer worthy to be called his son. But the father, seeing him a long way off, before he even confessed his sin, before he even acknowledged any wrongdoing, the father accepted him and ran to him, hugged and kissed him. This is how gracious we need to be when someone who has wandered returns. The very act of returning is recognition of how wrong their life has gone. And when returning to church, be a way to call on the elders of the church for spiritual healing. As I read through James' text this week, it became abundantly clear very quickly what James was calling us to do. James is telling us how we are to live as a community of believers. This is it in a nutshell. Pray, praise, anoint and pray, forgive and confess, and if I forgot to mention pray, bring back those who have wandered. Reading through notes in the margins of the study Bibles and commentaries, there's an underlying theme to all this. Consensus about James is that the James is counseling the community of believers against usurping God's role as judge. Reacting as judge does not allow us to act in love and to put our faith into action as James calls us to do. In fact, all the times that, you th that James brings up to pray are times where our human nature wants to judge. Why is this person sick? Why is this person suffering? Uh, we'll we'll uh, get more to that. But... Uh, our own judgment we pronounce on others only seems to be accepted as rejection and in many ways hate. That is at odds with how the story of the prodigal son and James calls us to live. James starts this passage with, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. In this text, they is not only referring to the one who is cheerful or suffering. But it is referring to the entire body of believers. We are a body of believers. And when members of our body suffer, we feel it. And when others have reason to be happy, we share in that joy as well. Therefore, when we see a fellow member suffering, we should pray. And when we see occasions of joy, we should share in that joy and should give praise to God with them. Why does James mention this? James is writing at a time when the world believes that any suffering is a result of some kind of sin in that person's life. 
This would spark whispers and gossip within the community of what, of, of that, of what sin that might be, what they could be doing behind the scenes, and which just fueled judgment amongst each other. When we see someone suffering, no matter what it's from, we should resist the temptation to judge and pray. Suffering takes on many forms. Somebody could be physically suffering, mentally and emotionally suffering, even spiritually suffering. The sources of these suffering are diverse. No matter the source, our response needs to be the same, to pray for one another. Our prayers are powerful and effective. God does hear them. Our, our praying invites God to work in and through us. The gospel reading for today was Mark 9, 38, through I think 50, but I'm only going to read 42 through 48. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. I think they tried something like this in Salem hundreds of years ago. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the, unquen to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter, enter life lame than to have two feet and to, and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to enter two, enter and to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. <clears throat> Those are some strong words. <clears throat> Mark's Gospel reading today talks about being a stumbling block. There are all kinds of stumbling blocks. There are stumbling blocks that could lure a child of God away from the community. And there are also stumbling blocks, or, ba or barriers in this case, that make it difficult for a child of God to return. The judgment many feel that have been lured away from the community of faith is very real. <clears throat> is this not also a stumbling block? Let's recall James 5.20. Whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and, and, will, co and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's think on this for a minute in light of Mark 9.42. What if James is not only speaking about the lost sinner, but also the judgmental sinner? And let's assume for a minute that the writer of this gospel is indeed James, who sat under Christ's teaching, was possibly present when this, pas when this passage in Mark was first spoken. How does, that, how does that call us to think about this passage? The judgmental member of the community presents a stumbling block to those trying to return to where they once found hope and prosperity in their lives. That is just as much a stumbling block as someone who leads, leads somebody astray in the beginning.
Here's a concept we need to embrace. Conviction. Absent the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just received as judgment and rejection. When we work with the Holy Spirit, only then can it be accepted as encouragement in the faith. Who are we to pick the problems out of somebody else's backyard when we don't yet have a handle on the problems in our own backyards? The struggle with sin is real in all of our lives. We should pray for one another in this struggle. As we as individuals pray that God continues to reveal the sins in our lives to us. Are any among us sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them. Today we're going to put this into practice with the anointing and prayer for healing. Again in James we see the use of the word they here, which is not only referring to the person who is sick, but to the community. If as a community we know, we know of one of our brothers and sisters who is sick and in need of healing, we should call on the elders of the church that the elders may come to them and anoint them in the name of Jesus Christ that they might be healed and forgiven all their sins. People who, sometimes people who are sick cannot, do not have the ability to call for the elder of the church. They need one of us to step up. They need one of us to pray for them. When I was granted my district license, I was given a red rag and a vial of anointing oil. You guys might remember the red, red rag from uh, Matt's installation. It does really turn the water red if you put it in water. Um, but uh, I was given a, the vial of oil is really what I want to bring out in this story here. Um, I was given a vial of oil. And uh, as I wrote this sermon, I went back to my top drawer of my bureau where it has sat since the day I got it. I saw the anointing oil. And in reading through James and consulting with the commentaries, I realized it's time for that vial to not just live in that top drawer. Being a, being a licensed elder in the Church of the Nazarene, well, I am an elder. And James has just said to go ahead and call for the elders of the church if you need healing. And the top drawer is probably not the best spot for that anointing oil to be used. Um, but that is... That is how I am being called in this passage to react. Um, you don't have to wait for the fourth Sunday of every month to be anointed and prayed for. And I'm sure Matt has, Pastor Matt has prayed for and anointed several people on many different days other than Sunday. And many different day, many other Sundays other than the fourth Sunday of the month. What I'm trying to say here is, my reaction is, I am willing to support Pastor Matt as a fellow elder in the church to pray for the sick, to anoint them. How might God be asking you, who may not be called to be an elder or to be a minister in the church, to act, to act in this community? Prayer is not an exclusive... Praying for the sick is not exclusive to the elders of the church. But it's a responsibility of all of us. James 5.16, I read that a few times, and one time I read it, something really stuck out at me. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Here we go. This is where it really stuck out at me. So that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. What really struck me there was the you part. You're praying for somebody else so you can be healed as a community. And uh, that is, we are all called to pray for each other and care for the sick. James also calls us to confess our sins to one another. And in this confession, to pray for one another in their, in their struggle with sin. This doesn't have to be a nitty-gritty replay of all the details of what you've done wrong. But you got to have somebody that you can confide in. Someone that you can share your struggles and your pains with. Someone who you know, if you tell them something that you've done or are struggling with, they're not going to put you down a peg or two on the Christianity ladder. This often doesn't happen because of the fear of judgment from others. Because of the fear of going down a peg or two on the Christianity ladder. But it is an important part of our shared lives together. As we battle the temptation to sin on a daily basis, in our confession, together we can pray for one another and help get over those struggles with sin. As many of you know, I was a chaplain assistant in the Army for 10 years. One of the chaplains I worked with, one of his favorite things to say was, who is your confessor? He's like, who can you share your deepest, darkest struggles with without fear of being looked down upon, judged, or ridiculed? And he often put that at a exit interview to soldiers who are leaving a battlefield. Put it in perspective when he would say that. There are lots of things that happen. I challenge all of us to find someone that we can do that with. Someone that we can spill everything to without the fear of being judged, being thought of differently, or getting knocked down the Christianity peg ladder. Because it is times like this that we can encourage each other in our struggles with sin and grow deeper in our faith. So the biggest theme, not directly actually mentioned in James, as I've brought up, is, the, is resisting the urge to be judgmental. I give thanks that many, that many, Bethel has... A, I give thanks that to many, Bethel has earned the reputation of being a judgment-free zone. That some have returned to find the Father with arms wide open, welcoming them back. We need to continue to be that church to all. Remember, it is God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is our job to love our brothers and sisters. For those English English teachers in the room, I'll put a uh, citation here. That's from Billy Graham. It is, the lo it is that love 
that calls us to pray for one another. We are a body, as we are a body, as one member suffers, we all suffer. I know when I stub my toe, I feel it in my back sometimes. If a member of the body is missing, it is our duty to bring them back. I'm going to flip Mark's passage a little bit, a little bit on its head here. For what good is it for the body of Christ to enter the kingdom without the arm or the leg that is missing? We all know people who have wandered from the faith. As James calls us to pray for one another three times in today's passage, pray for those who have wandered for their spiritual healing. I have to, I have to agree that... And I have to believe that he who began a good work in them will complete it. And I do believe firmly that one day we will see them back here in our midst. So continue to pray. <clears throat> After all, a body that is missing one of its members is not complete. The question I want to leave you with is, is what role do you play? Do you play the role of the Father, loving and accepting of all who return? eagerly ready to run and greet the person on their way with open arms, not caring what they've done or what they've gone through to get back here? Do you play the role of the brother, bitter and jealous and judgmental of the child who has returned? It is my prayer that we can be more like the father and, wel and be welcoming and accepting to all of God's children. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I give thanks today, Lord, for this time we have to come together. Lord, I give thanks for the people that have found you here with open arms, ready to embrace them. Give thanks for the people, Lord, that find a, find find a judgment-free zone here, Lord, where they can experience your grace, your hope. Lord, continue to encourage us to be welcoming, accepting people, Lord, as the Father in the story of the prodigal son is. And I thank you for it in the name of your, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.